final installment of Beautiful World, Where Are You? I am really, really going to miss these conversations. I know. The book? Eh, yeah, I liked it. But, <laughs> but the conversations. There's so much good stuff that comes out of conversation about this book. Yes, there's just so much to discuss. And like I said, I think the recaps really made us like focus in on these parts. And we never would have had this if we did the whole thing. I know. I'm so glad. And now so, I'm going to be sad when it's over. I know. I remember well, feeling this way after we did the Normal People show recaps. I felt very bereft and something was really missing. I'm going to feel that way about this one now. You know what? I Now that you say it, the other one, Foodie Love. I felt oh, so sad yes. to say goodbye to those two. I yes. felt like I wanted to keep talking about that too. But let's be yes. honest. since We've already said that we are... Alice and Eileen, and we write these emails. We'll, we'll find more topics. Oh, to yes. We will. <laughs> You're not worried. The, the emails won't stop. No, I'm not worried. But but we won't have Sally Rooney-level content. Prompting us, yes. So in this final section, I have to declare that I am absolutely still Alice. Okay. But I will say, I really enjoyed Eileen. Oh, thank God. Oh, geez. I'm so excited to hear that. 90% of my notes are about Eileen and Simon. And okay. I was like, if if, if you hadn't had any kind of change of heart, I was like, oh, no. But I'm glad. Okay. Because I've changed. I will changed. say that what made me change, well, I mean, Eileen did have more insight to herself. She, I was impressed with some of her self-assessments. But to yes. be honest, it was really Simon. It was really that yeah. I could really relate to Simon totally. a lot. When I see it through his eyes, I was I was into it more. Yes, I was into the two of them, absolutely. And I felt like, and this is what I wanted to ask you, I didn't know if that was because I had really turned like a huge corner on the two of them because after my last one where I was like, I just, I don't understand those two. I, I was really getting frustrated. Yes. I did, I knew for me, I did personally turn a corner. So I thought maybe, is it, is it that or is it they just had a lot more room to grow? They had a lot more they had to deal with or did I make this up? You're right. They had more to I mean, they're gonna deal with yeah and you know? and they're also because the, they're really kind of going to be together for the first time they were more casual in the beginning whereas Alice and Felix were were trying to get together and that's a yes. kind of an intense time and now here they've leveled off a little bit so it's not exactly quite as much. that's what I felt like yeah that they were more interesting right. in the beginning because they were you know as we the talked stage about all the prior ones yeah. yeah and now these two really were taking it to a different stage in their relationship so we got to that's where it got it more interesting for me I think Simon so and Eileen yeah okay I think so, so too. that's how that's how it felt good so we start in these pages this is Lola's wedding through the end we start with Lola's wedding yes and I think I told you that I thought this was a beautiful chapter like mm. it's so cinematic to me I said that to you like I, I think the writing is beautiful. She described it so perfectly, kind of what goes on, you know, when you're getting ready. The interplay between her and her sister, her parents, you know, each one, I thought it was so interesting, each one how they, she has them sort of thinking back on a memory, you know, Lola, then Eileen, then her mother, even her father, you know, we, we hadn't sort of heard anything from them and we don't, it's just little, you know, memories of them thinking back. And I just thought, isn't that what people do at big yes. moments, you know, weddings, funerals. 
it's nostalgic, but the way she writes it, it's just these quick little glimpses. But I just felt like I was there, that I was, you know, watching her fasten her hair, fix her hair, everybody flitting about. But the part that that really got me was after the ceremony when Eileen is posing for pictures and she catches Simon's eye mm. and there's a line on 252. Only then Eileen saw him, Simon, standing at the church door watching her. They looked at one another for a long moment without moving, without speaking. And in the soil of that look, many years were buried. Oh my God, that line. And then from that, she uses that line to then you know, do these memories that each of them have. So, you know, he remembered when she was born and then, and she says he was that too for her, the boy, the young man of 20. And it's, it, it really felt like a flashback, like a montage for me yes. where, where I could see them as children then as teens. And then she tells that story, you know, again, she says she felt safe with him, which is a big theme for her, mm -hmm. but she recounts that story when they were, I think she was 15 and, and he was obviously four or five years older and she tried to kiss him like she actually tried to make the first move but he says sorry it can't be that way but then I like, as they're just to, yeah just to say about that I feel like that was a big shift for me in this section she kept using the same ideas and principles of feeling safe feeling you know secure without the daddy parts of it and I think that that was that was a big shift for me it was a subtle shift but it was really important feeling between them that still had the same elements of what she was kind of talking about in the beginning without the weird familial like what's going on here so I like yes that. Yeah. I agree that is that's actually a good point and I just thought you know we've struggled a lot with her not saying what she really means and you know she you go back in time and it turns out she actually tried to make the first move like she tried to put herself out there to him and he didn't bite you know and I, I understand why I think he's saying sorry it can't be that way I assume meaning maybe the age discrepancy yes, or I think so. just that where they were at creepy. that time yeah right Yes. yes, but she you know uh, so I'm not saying that's why maybe later she always felt hesitant but it, it's a it's an interesting moment from their past where you see her in a different role. I feel like than than what she is later. Yeah. But then as they're riding away on their bikes, you know, Sally Rooney writes silently with his eyes on the wheel of his bicycle. He prayed, "Dear God, let her live a happy life. I'll do anything, anything, please, please." It's just his devotion to her. Mm really has been there his entire life. Now, that's something I enjoyed and I thought you would be frustrated by because it's one of those things that I think I think being in love with someone or being devoted to them or having the feelings that Simon has for Eileen doesn't mean you're supposed to be together. And and I think that is frustrating to you. Like you don't maybe buy that same rationale. Well, it wasn't frustrating to me then because again, for the reasons you said in that moment, it shows that he loves her and is mm. devoted to her, but at that that just wasn't possible at that time. So he's still just thinking, you know, but he still always wants the best for her is yes. what I was thinking. Then. Yes, so, yeah, absolutely, yeah. You know, and then, oh, geez, on 256, when they are still as part of this, like, flashback. I mean, by the way, this is still just all these thoughts that are, like, crossing between them mm -hmm. at, after that one glance at the wedding, which, again, I can see this as, like, a movie montage. But now they're 
thinking back on the time in Paris, their first, you know, sexual encounter. And she said, writes, they were lying close together, their shoulders almost touching. That was the first time. To be held in his arms and to feel him move inside her, this man who kept himself apart from everyone, to feel him giving in, taking comfort in her. That was her whole idea of sexuality. It had never surpassed that still. And for him to have her in that way, when she was so innocent and nervous, trembling all over, so unconscious, it seemed, of what she was giving him, he almost felt guilty. But it could never be wrong with her, no matter what they did together, because she had nothing evil in her, and he would give his life away to make her happy. Okay. So, <laughs> let me just take a moment there. Yeah. Um, well, because that, there's so many things, but, but the first and most important to me was just how that description was so mutually beneficial, like what they were doing for each other. You know, he was taking comfort in her. She was unconscious of what she was giving him. And that struck me because to this point, there'd just been all this talk of the power imbalance of her always needing him. And, and there will be, you know, more after this of her feeling yes. like she's taking from him, but not giving enough. But and that it gets gets addressed later, but I, I just felt like that description, you you could see that the again the, the mutual benefit was interesting compared to how their relationship has been described in the past. Yeah, it's also beautiful, but that was her whole idea of sexuality. It had never surpassed that. Still, that I'm like, oh man. I mean, I I've read a lot about this about mm -hmm. how you can be shaped so profoundly. I mean, I think people have experienced this, so they know it by, you know, a first love or your first real meaningful sexual experience and and how it does become like a definition of sorts, like something that, that people measure other experiences on. It's just sort of wired in, the, in her brain now. Mm. And you think about that, like Simon is her whole idea of sexuality. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 I mean... Whew. Um, I did say it was my favorite. <laughs> I don't know if you read Sally Rooney talked about writing this scene and it's like almost like a standalone chapter and it oh yeah and it and it feels very different to her from anything else before or after in that book or oh. anything else she's ever oh, done. Thank God that's how I felt. And she talks oh about how she did it. She said Instead of presenting a scene or a series of scenes through dialogue and dramatic action, I was trying to present a kind of sensory experience, a series of images and memories and moods. In the months before I wrote that scene, I had also attended a couple of weddings myself, and I'd found them very moving and beautiful. I don't know if other writers feel this way, but I think it can be much easier to convey disillusionment, alienation, and ugliness in fiction than it is to convey love, happiness, and beauty. Some people might con conclude from this observation that life is really alienating, ugly, and that love and happiness are illusory, but I don't think so. And in that wedding chapter, maybe I was trying to suggest in some very small way the beauty of life. <gasps> yeah. Oh my gosh, I yeah. did not read that. Yeah. And I'm so, so this explains so much. It yeah. really did just stand out to me. Yeah. Oh my gosh, wow. I love that. Yeah. And I mean, the, the the last, you know, the end of it is just, oh my God, tenderly, it seemed almost painfully. They smiled at one another, saying nothing, and their questions were the same. Am I the one you think about? When we made love, were you happy? Have I hurt you? 
do you love me? Will you always? From the church gate now, her mother was calling her name. Reaching to touch Simon's hand, Eileen said, I'll be back. He nodded. He smiled at her. Don't worry, he said. I'll be here. I mean, at that point, I was like, I, I was <laughs> swooning is not even like the right word for what was <laughs> happening to me in that whole thing. And I was like, how was I not rooting for them before? She's just totally turned me, yeah. totally turned me into a Simon and Eileen fan right there. Of course, then she freaking the next chapter I want to. <laughs> she's got Eileen writing one of the emails to Alice, but it's super short. And, and she goes right back to being like, yeah, I guess we missed our shot. Me and Simon, you know, it's not going to work. And I'm like, damn you, oh, Sally, see, you I took loved, me up to this high. I didn't and feel then, that way. I didn't oh, feel I like dropped. She, yeah. Oh, OK. I didn't feel that way because I, I actually I mean, she does think like, oh, I wish he had done this 10 years ago. You know, asked right. when we first had sex, he should have asked, done the right thing, the Christian thing and asked me to marry him. Then we would have severed children by now and they'd probably be sitting on this train with us at this very moment, overhearing their father's conversation with a bird enthusiast. I love, I thought that was very sweet and harbored hope still. I mean, just, okay. yeah. No, it's just I felt like then she was saying maybe it's just too late for us. Well, then um, she says if Simon had taken me under his wing earlier in life, wing. I might have turned out a lot better. And even he might have if he'd had someone to care for and confide in all the time. But I'm sorry yes. to say it's too late to change the way we've turned out. I think she means as individuals and not okay. as a okay. couple. Because then she says, I will probably continue to make poor life decisions and suffer recurrent depressive episodes. And Simon will probably continue to be a highly competent and good-natured but emotionally inaccessible person. I guess that is just about each of them will still... Yeah, it's yeah. about their individuals. But yeah. wait, the next line is what the one I have underlined. But maybe it was maybe always it was going always to be going that way. Be and that there way. was never anything we could have done. Which to me, that is proof of love. Who you are and who he is are the people that are supposed to be together. I thought that was beautiful. I thought oh, that was beautiful. Oh, okay. Well, good. I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I felt I felt dropped. Yeah. Okay, oh. but I like your interpretation better. Yes, that 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 that's proof that they should be together. They, nothing they could have done would have made it any different. Made it different. Yeah. Okay, I like that. Yeah. How did you feel after this chapter? This is what did it start turning sort of things around on these two? That stuff doesn't move me the same way it moves you, but I don't know when it started to turn for me. I can't say exactly like when when I felt a yeah, little differently. I, yeah. So th then they, after the wedding, they head mm -hmm. to, to go see Alice. And this is starts the, the four of them together, which mm -hmm. wasn't my favorite. I think what I really missed was, it's almost like the women were almost strangers to one another, comparatively yes, speaking. Yes, without, the, without their the correspondence. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't love that. I could see I mean, that. They do have that nice scene on the beach, which I happen to really love. Talk about cinematic mm -hmm. that. I, I yes. saw that as a very cinematic scene. It was a yes, it was great right. details, just excellent details about what happens at the beach, like, you know, kind of flicking a, something, a fly off your towel and smoothing things out and then rubbing your hands in the sand. Yes. Such great. And watching the men in the water from a distance and then you can't see them. And then, yeah. yeah. And it was, it was such a fresh, I thought it was such a fresh Sally setting. It's something we hadn't really seen before. So I really. I really enjoyed that scene. So they do have that, but otherwise it is more about Felix and Simon and then and Felix and Eileen and 
the two couples as opposed to Eileen and Alice. And I really missed that. There is less of the two of them until, and then, you know, when you do get them together, there is this building tension yes. um, mm-hmm. between them. And so, which is probably that very gets, real. And yes, I, it is. I, and a good choice. I just, I missed it. I will have, I just have to say, I missed the, that, in that, those conversations between them. The you almost dialogue. wanted them to now that they're in person have Sit some down. of that kind of dialogue that they had in the emails, but now in person, and and you don't really get a lot of that. That's fair. That's right. That's, fair. That's right. In that next chapter, you have Eileen. I would have her. You know, she's talking to Alice a lot about you know the how she feels like the relationship is very one way, which I mentioned before, and that's come up a, a lot of times mm. for these two, and. You know, then you have it 288 to 291, what I think is sort of the next big scene with Simon and Eileen when they're in bed. And to me, this was a big turning point in terms of my prior frustrations with her. And I think you you shared them about her, the why she just kept saying she wanted to be friends. And we talked about that a lot in the last one. We talked about her daddy issues. We talked about, I said, is it just like a method of Mm self-protection and it it really very much frustrated me I'm like why does she keep saying she wants to be friends with him I don't think she really just wants to be friends with him but she also wants to protect herself which I thought was very relatable and I I finally felt like now we were getting a little bit more into self-reflection on her part and to what she's really afraid of Mm. and I really liked the part on 289 so it's not just like oh I'll lose you as a friend which obviously is one of the issues but she says sometimes when I get really sad and depressed you know I lie in bed and think about you I don't mean in a sexual way I just think about the goodness of you as a person and since you like me or you love me I must be okay I can feel that feeling inside myself even now while I'm describing it to you it's like when everything is really bad it's this one small feeling the size of an acorn and it's inside me here she gestured to the base of her breastbone between her ribs it's like the way when i'm upset i know i can call you and you'll say soothing things to me she said and when i think about that most of the time i don't even need to call you because i can feel it the way i'm describing i can feel that you're with me i know that probably sounds stupid but if we got together and then broke up would i not be able to feel that anymore and what would i have inside here instead She tapped the base of her breastbone again and anxious fingers. Nothing, she asked. So I felt like that really explained to me what's what's been going on for her, Mm. you know, and and I get that. Like to me, that makes sense. Like now I understand what she's been so afraid of. Yeah. Yeah. I don't it, it makes sense, I guess, intellectually, but I'm just not wired that way. I can't hold back for fear of something and then not have oh. the thing I want instead of it. I'd rather burn bright and burn out than to to like keep it in my pocket. I'm not a keep it in my pocket kind of person. So I yeah, could relate a- to that. But I think Sally Rooney did a great job of explaining and yes. making that clear. But I just viscerally did not get it at all. The self-protection aspect? That form of self-protection. I think everybody self-protects, but that form of self-protection of of kind of holding back. I'm just, I can't, I don't hold back. I don't, 
I can't. Oh, yeah. yeah I can't. Oh, I can totally yeah. relate to this. Yeah, yeah. But we sort of learn later that I think she was also hoping here by saying this that he would maybe convince her, like, mm. <laughs> of why it would be okay. Like, even though we're friends, don't worry. Like, even if we got together and it and and it didn't work out, I'd always still be there for you, right? But you get none of that from Simon. I mean, she gives this whole long thing and he says, basically... Uh, you know, I do understand your reasons, but from what you're saying, it sounds like you don't actually want to be with me. Yeah, that's exactly how I took what yeah. she said. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Exactly right? how I took it. Like, okay, so you don't want to be together. Bye. Like, And so I when I read that, because yeah. I didn't get to the later part that we'll talk about, yeah. I was like, what are you talking about? So what are you doing? That's not what she said. Wait, and so what, like about, to- what about when she essentially says the same thing to Alice and Alice, you know, Simon takes it the way I would take it as a lover. Okay, I understand, like, you've spoken English words that I that I have the vocabulary for, but I don't get it at all. And, okay, so you don't want to be together. That's how I would have taken it, Simon. But how I really interpreted it was the way Alice does on 276. When she's, Eileen's saying, when she gets a migraine, she thinks she has cancer, and she kind of just went, she went, to talk to Simon and she can run to him and he makes her feel better and she says there's no point even imagining how I would react if 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 the roles were reversed she's she's saying because it's just something he would never do in fact if he did that I would assume there genuinely was something wrong with his brain (laughs) Eileen goes on and says Simon gets the absolute dregs of my personality. I don't know why I'm criticizing him. I should be criticizing my, myself. What adult woman would behave like that? It's awful. And Alice interprets it as I would. You mean you don't like who you are when you're with him. When you're with him. And Eileen says, no, not that. It's just, it's one way. I don't, I, he fixes me and I never fix anything for him. And I just, that was where I was like, okay, I I understand. Alice is saying, you guys sound terrible for each other. Like, this isn't right. You don't like who you are when you're with him. And Eileen's like, no. But it's just, again, one of those classic, how different people interpret things wildly differently, even though they're essentially the same words. And she's like, yes, no. Yeah. And that's like, that's why Sally Rooney, God, how much can we talk about how good she is at miscommunication? (laughs) Well, so that's interesting because I actually heard an interview with her and one of her biggest frustrations is that people say she is great at portraying miscommunication and she's very frustrated that people, uh, it's not just you and uh, and me, I think everyone kind of says that, but what she is trying to portray is those different interpretations how how people don't know how to say what they mean so that someone else will hear it that it's really more self like that Eileen doesn't know the way to say what she means to say and not that Simon doesn't how to interpret it Simon interprets it he he thinks he knows exactly what she's saying and Alice thinks she knows exactly what Eileen is saying it's not really a miscommunication it's a misrepresentation of oneself I guess which I, oh, I think geez. both of them really ring, I think both of them ring true because you can't say something in a vacuum. You have to say something in a way someone will hear it. But she does think right. it's not really about miscommunication. It's about misrepresentation, about m- m- the inability to say what one actually means. Oh, I, mean, I can really, see that too. I yeah, because really what Eileen should have said is, 
I don't want to lose you. I never want to lose you. And I want to be together more than anything. But you have to promise me that we'll never lose each other. <laughs> That's what you should really say. Yes, right. I think she's closer here to saying her truth. But you, you're right. You're like, yeah, but you could take that one step f- further and more direct. And you'd make your point. Right, because my my end analysis as a lover like Simon is okay, you love me and all this, but you don't want to be together. And Alice's is you don't like who you are with him. And so it that one step further is actually everything. You can't stop right. before it, that one step earlier. Right. No, because then you're going to get this response like from Simon. I'm sorry that I couldn't be what you wanted, he says. And I'm like, wait, Simon, no, you are what she wants. Oh, my gosh. So, but and then just the, you know, he says that. He goes, gets up to leave and go back to his room. And just to gush on her writing on 291, then she just kind of cuts to, like, third person. And I felt like I was in a play. And it says, across the landing, Simon enters his own room and closes the door behind him. And if in the silence and solitude of his room he kneels down on the floorboards, is he praying? And for what? To be free of selfish desires? Maybe. Or maybe with his elbows on the mattress, his hands clasped before him, he's only thinking, what do you want from me? Please, God, show me what you want. I thought that. I was like, wow. I felt, I really felt like I was just watching. I mean, you just had this whole big scene between them and her confessing how she really feels now and him saying, I guess you don't really want me. And then just this, it's sort of like I said, I just felt like I was in a play and now I could just see Simon, like I was standing over and watching him go back to his room and is he praying? Is he not praying? And I was thinking the cut to black after <laughs> like I could see the whole scene. And so anyway, I thought that was a turning point for them. But then they have, I guess, their final talk after the sort of the fight what I call the friendship fight which we can talk about um separately but that's what what gets Eileen to sort of go upstairs to her room she's had this fight with Alice and she's in what I believe to be her most insufferable moments at this point for me personally she just she's getting as I told you, I found her very whiny at this point. Nobody loves me. Oh, you know, you don't love me. Simon doesn't love me. And, you know, so she's, they go at 3.34 and they, they, he comes up to talk to her because that's what he does. You know, Alice is like, oh, just go. She needs you more than I do, you know. So on page, like three, like I said, like 3.34, Four through 35, I'm just, you know, it's the whole, you know, Alice doesn't love me. I have no one in my life, blah, blah, blah. But then the two of them really have sort of the talk about about their relationship. And the big issue, like I said, has always been that she feels like she, it was one-sided. And on 338, Simon says, if I've ever done anything for you, it was really for myself because I've wanted to be close to you. And if I'm honest, I've wanted to feel that you needed me, that you couldn't do without me. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't think I'm being very clear at all. I mean that you've done much more for me, really, than I've ever done for you. And I've needed you more. I do need you more, a lot more than you need me. And I don't know if that's what you mean by getting some of, you know, Simon's point of view here, but I mean, 
Alice had just said previously that he has a martyr complex, which I think we've seen. And I think Felix <laughs> likened him to Jesus. Um, and, and he does, you know, he's clearly a person that, you know, is always there for her and doing things for her, which she had viewed as one-sided, as a bad thing. And what he's now finally saying is, that's how I love. You know, I need to feel like I'm helping you and me helping you is actually you doing something for me. So I get more out of it than you think. And that is where you finally sort of the scales sort of even or to the point where he's actually saying, I need you more than you need me, which I did not understand that until that moment. It was important that he's now explaining because that's been her hang up. You know, like, oh, you need me. I need you more than you need me. And he's like explaining to her that, that, that no, that this is how he loves. He needs to feel like he's helping her and that he's making sacrifices. And, and the fact that she needs him, this actually works out perfectly then because she needs him all the time. And he loves to feel like he's helping her and that, and, and that makes him feel needed. So right here was where I was like, okay, these two, these two are going to be okay. I know. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to ask you about that again. Yeah, but, but, go ahead. I'm not yeah. sure. I'm not sure. But I, I think it's a great starting point for a relationship. I think someone who needs someone else and someone who needs to take care of, I think that's a great match. It is a very natural, easy match that has a level of contentment built into it right away right I just right I'm not sure where, where where all that goes so I guess this might be a time for me to just get into um because it is about how Simon loves and and what what he needs in in love and I mentioned to you that I had to get a little astrology in here and I was reading recently, as you know, for other reasons, things about your sign in Venus, which, you know, if whatever your sign is in Venus is, is how you connect with others, or typically people say how you love, but, and I just feel like... Right, so signings, this is not the sun sign, this is not a rising sign, this is not yes. a moon sign, this is what sign, what zodiac sign is connected with the planet Venus, and Venus tells one how they love. Not everyone has their full natal chart done like the, like us, which are very informative. And reading about the different signs in Venus made me think that he's, Venus must be in Pisces. I mean, maybe hers too. Absolutely but. agree with. Absolutely agree with. Yes, because this happens to be yours too, mm -hmm. but we'll just focus on Simon here. But so just a little bit about that and you'll see what I mean. So uh, Venus and Pisces, men and women, want you to know that their love is unconditional, Simon. They are unimpressed by your status and love and accept you for all that you are inside. They love the underdog and are attracted to wayward folks or those in need of a little help. With their romantic view of the world, they can be unreasonably attracted to states of suffering and martyrdom, so they easily get into the role of saving someone. Venus in Pisces is actually turned on by inequality. <laughs> I thought, oh my God, Simon, easily, okay, attracted to suffering and martyrdom, the role of saving someone. Yeah. This is, this is how he loves. This is for And also his job. Him. I mean, it's also yes. his work, but 
but yeah yes yeah but go ahead. and you know that all the talk we've had on the prior ones about the inequality again maybe we don't use the word power but there was lots of discussion of him being the boss of her and her looking to him to be in charge this is this is what he likes again and by I say this because I've decided this is what he is. So I understand there's somebody out there like, lady, you don't know what his Venus sign is for the fictional character. But there's also, okay, so try to understand them. Although that's never an easy task, considering the fact some Venus in Pisces privately have a love affair going with the idea of being misunderstood. And I feel as if Simon you know, kind of does have that. And Felix kind of is the best one to try to tease that out of him and his Jesus complex. And they they, they all at various points sort of accuse him of, of being sort of unknowable, inaccessible, right? Easily misunderstood, right? So it says these intriguing partners will reward you with a love that is accepting and comes as close to unconditional as humans can get. And he certainly loves Eileen basically as unconditionally as one human can get and Venus and Pisces people are attracted to situations of giving martyrdom and mercy they want very much to forgive allow and give unselfishly I feel like this is Simon yes doesn't he seem very much like this and it's definitely me so it's like you know one of those things where you sometimes you read things and you're like oh yeah that one is a hundred percent on the mark for me yeah and to me though this gives again hope for this fictional relationship (laughs) because if that's if if you think about that there are people you don't have to accept right my craziness even if you're not into astrology right but the fact that there are people who love that way Mm. okay in which case this situation is ideal for that i mean him and him and eileen right oh good point you don't even have to believe it it has to do with astrology it is just a matter of how some people love and some people do love i mean simon has already depicted it clearly and then yeah you just read more of it i agree yeah that is just how he loves that's why i think you relate to simon yes well so i do relate to simon almost cried when i read on 336 she is saying no you don't understand you don't take care of me the way I take care of I don't take care of you the way that you take care of me and he's smoothing his thumb over her cheekbone well maybe I'm not very good at being taken care of he answered oh that's right that I was about devastating all this. Yes. I mean that was really devastating because the flip side of it is and I I, I think I would prior to this conversation I think I think I'll feel better after this conversation and that it's just it is the way I love and that's a good thing and that's who I am and I should just kind of stick with it but when I was in Simon's head here I'm like god I am really bad at being taken care of and what is that about and why don't I let I mean it seems that Eileen might say why don't you let me take care of you? Or, and let me tell you, if she doesn't say it now, she's going to say it five years from now. <laughs> like, right. it, it because it becomes a wall. It becomes, it, it becomes what people perceive as a wall. And yeah, that is just who I think we are, is who I am. I, I, I would guess it's who Simon is from what he's saying here. Maybe I'm not very good at being taken care of. And how, yeah. and that just blew my mind. I'm like, well, how do I get good at being taken care of? And how does one do that? And I don't know. I don't know. And and is that going to be a real issue for them later? Yeah. Yes. How if you're the other person yeah. opposite you, 
that how badly that can feel because it almost makes you feel renders you useless in a way it makes you feel like there's nothing if there's nothing they can do to take care of you then what is what is my job like what am I contributing like how how, right which is essentially what Eileen is saying yes and Simon's response while true is a little bit it's it's insufficient for I think a lifelong relationship which is like I get more from taking care of you I mean that does that's how you burn out like that that doesn't you can't go one way forever this is what I was gonna wondering and you're right you're one of these people I can ask you so if you're the is it is the reason you can't be taken care of because the way you love is to be the one taking care of someone else and so you don't you don't just you don't want it in return or but everybody wants it in return so that can't be oh I definitely don't it's just you're so I well so but is that why because what love is to you is you taking care of someone not the other way around I think it's extremely uncomfortable for someone like me and it's inequitable too it's like it said you 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 must like the inequality well I'm just going off yeah that doesn't really I I it's I think that's that's something that's one of those things that's factually true, not emotionally true. I don't ever mm-hmm. feel that way at all. In fact, you know, one of the things I love most about my husband is what equal partners we are. And I guess, I guess I just don't, I don't think of equality as one for one. Like uh, you helped me, I help you. You help me, I help you. I think right, right. it is more like, you know, he, he takes care of this aspect of our relationship and I take care of this aspect of our relationship. And so I do see equality, but I, I suppose if it's in this caregiving way, then it's definitely yeah. very, that's, that's what I mean. Yeah. Just in that way. It's yeah, very in unequal, caregiving way. but I, but you're suggesting, and Simon is even suggesting, and maybe my husband and I have just been together for too long that I'm sure I did like it that way. I just, as the more time goes by, and I guess we have kids, and it just, it doesn't, it feels like something I carry now as a fact, but that I might want to. Yeah, might want to rethink. Yeah, And let's well, be because, clear too, this isn't just love, right. like, like we said earlier. Yes. This is about Thank you. the sign in Venus is how you connect with people, it's not just in a love romantic relationships. Right. And I know you know this too about yourself. This is how you are just with friends too. Yeah. So it can be, it must be very draining. It's, it's, you're not just the caregiver in your home. I that's guess, right. Is what I'm saying. No, it's, that's absolutely right. And I have, and we've talked about this in Malibu Rising where I was like, well, is it, you were like, it's nice for that person to come to you and say, like, I'm having a that breakdown. That was it. It Help was Malibu me. Rising. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, well, that doesn't, my experience does not prove that to be true. My experience is when yes. I, you know, uh, people come to me and are like, my life is completely falling apart. And, and I said that when I say that to someone else, that I think it's very destabilizing for them. That's always the feeling I get. That when I say that to someone else in in a partnership, whatever that is, romantic or friendship, or for us, you know, also in the context of this project that is the podcast, I feel like it's very destabilizing to the other person. And maybe I don't because that's not your normal role, right? Maybe I just need to be able to say that without it feeling like 
I shouldn't have said it. And that is the problem. Usually I, I end up uh, feeling like I should, I feel worse. We've had this discussion before too. Yes. When you're vulnerable with someone, there are certain kinds of vulnerability that for me, or maybe it's just certain kind of people, when I'm vulnerable, I feel worse about myself, about the situation and about my, the person I just shared it with. So it doesn't feel good. I mean, I, what was that in Foodie Love where you're like, it's just better to get yeah. it out. I'm like, no, no, it's not. It's actually worse. No. It makes everything worse. No, I think worse. it started with Eleanor Oliphant. Oh, there yes, was this, yes. this virtuous cycle. Yeah, yes. if you share and, the, and you were like, um, no, yes. no, that is not true. And I was like, wait, what do you mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so that oh, is no. my experience. And so I don't know, this whole scene, while I could completely relate to Simon and while I had a different view of Eileen, on a personal level, it was really, it was not, it did not send me in a great spiral. <laughs> right. And see, I'm like, okay, now that I've read all this, I have, I feel so much better yeah. about Eileen and Simon, which yeah. I think you do too, even though you can see, I understand what you're saying. You can still see how this down the road could be an issue for them, but compared to the way they were interacting or and talking in, earlier in the book, I'm, this is, you know... For me now, I'm like, okay, I like, I understand you more. I understand you more. And again, I think that was always my frustration. I just didn't. Yeah. And I'm but, getting a lot right. of that alleviated here. I think my fundamental question still stands that it, even if that is their very natural. See, so when something is identified, this is just a general rule in, my, in life for me. If something is identified as one's fundamental like self it's the essence of who that person is like like you're a fixed sign I'm a cardinal sign I should never I should never pretend that the middle or the end of something is going to be the best experience for me because I'm a cardinal sign starting things is important to me I should never act like you are going to start every single thing that we do because that's not who you are I don't ever want the certain things that I believe are fundamental to who a person is, I don't ever want them to change because I, then I think that person then is not being true to themselves. But how do you not fall into the same roles? How do you not stay yeah. in a place that doesn't always serve you and it's just like, hey, don't change that because you know who I am and I know who you I are, right? Know. Yeah. This is my question. Yeah, mine too. I, this goes with the on page three thirty nine. This is like if we talk about that now, because that's what I I took away from that too. Which is yes, you need to know that someone that's just the way they are. But also, sometimes then how do we grow? I don't. I I, I don't know. I, know. It's, I have the same question. I, I mean, so we both loved page three thirty nine for different reasons, and this is still part of the same conversation yep. that we were just talking about yep. between Simon and Eileen. And again, Simon with the truth bomb here. I mean, I just, he, it crushed me because it's, it was just so something I, I do. So I did not relate to Eileen. I said in her insufferable whining, but, but I did relate to her on this point when Simon notes that like, basically in my, in your conversations with me and, and even with Alice, like you want people to say things that they're never going to say is basically the gist. And that he, he says, but I feel maybe it's possible you said those things, at least in some way, because you wanted me to make the other case. And he was referring to 
the prior conversation where she was saying, oh, but if we're friends and then we break up, like he clearly, she wanted him to argue back and he didn't. And she says things to Alice, hoping to get her to say things back. And she doesn't. And he says, I love you very much. You're my best friend. But the problem is that you seem to be drawn to people who aren't very good at giving you those responses. And then he says, if you tell me you don't want to be with me, I might feel very hurt and humiliated, but I'm not going to start begging and pleading with you. At some level, I actually think you know I won't, but then you get left with the impression that I don't love you or I don't want you because you're not getting this response from me. This response that you basically know you won't get because I'm not the type of person who can give it to you. Jesus, I, I do this. I do this. I am so Eileen in this yeah. moment. I am one of those people who, even though I know I'm not going to get a different response from, from someone, I keep goading them or saying things, hoping that they'll give the response back that I want. And then when they don't, I act surprised or annoyed or frustrated. And his point is, but you know with certain people that they're never going to do that. That is not the way they are. Like Simon's like, I'm never going to be that person. Neither is Alice. Right. So what are you doing, Eileen? Yes. Why do you keep doing that yes. to yourself? And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. I do that. <laughs> I know and you're Simon in this. Yes. Yeah. But to me, that's... That's the opposite of what it, What would Simon's equivalent be? Maybe the answer is as simple as, okay, so in that situation, what Simon could harshly say, and I don't recommend it, but basically what it boils down to is stop wanting that thing from that person. Like yes. that is not mm-hmm. going to happen. Like understand that that your translation is not correct. That, that yeah, if they don't fight back, right, they don't fight back, that it doesn't mean. Doesn't mean they don't love you right. or that they don't feel that. They're just, that's not their way. Right. But when Simon, so that's Eileen wanting something from Simon. Simon doesn't want something from Eileen, but I guess I'm suggesting that he should, in fact, want something from Eileen. He should want to in some capacity, or, or it would be healthy for their relationship for him to allow her to take care of him. It's something he should want that he doesn't want. So I don't know in this situation, I guess this is a tough one because this one is very much like him explaining to Eileen what she's sort of missing here. Let me just play devil's advocate here. Why why can't Eileen say, okay, I know that's not you. Okay. But, and and like we just said, I don't want him to change something fundamental about who he, he is. But if she's saying, I need you maybe sometimes to be a person who, you know, I want that. Could you not just give it to me a little like, or is he not supposed to change? Yeah, because that's who he is. Like who he is. Yeah. I mean, I just never know which things are things that are who a person is and you should never ask them to change versus, okay, but I need you to meet me a little bit my way. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I do. <laughs> But then, but, and then that doesn't answer your question of, okay, well, what is the thing Simon needs right. her to come this way? Right. But I don't think this is unique to the two of them oh, either. God, I don't no. think this dooms no, them, for sure. right? I mean, I, I think, I think that this is. You and I both have personal experiences with our, for ourselves with this dynamic. I think it's very fundamentally human. I do. Yes. It's just a matter yes. of which, which quote unquote side you're on. Are you the Simon and Alice or are you the. Felix, and by the way, we should move on to Felix 
and what he says to Eileen about this back on 295 when he Felix is kind of stirring shit up with Eileen which I didn't love but I guess they're the same in this kind of way he says my theory would be people like them too are different from you and me he said you'll only drive yourself crazy trying to make them act the way you want Eileen watched him for a few seconds and then replied I'm not trying to make either of them do anything Felix and Felix just ignores her it's a lie (laughs) and he, he goes on to really ask what he's wondering for himself is you have to ask yourself he said if they wreck your head so much why bother and yeah. he and then he says there must be some reason on your side he went on why you care and she says fuck off and he says i'm not attacking you you know they they it does feel yeah, that way yeah. but he is just trying to be really honest and i think he's speaking from experience and how he feels with alice and so I don't know. It's a lot. We're not going to get any answers here. <laughs> it's no, it's a lot. No, but it, uh, yeah, but that was a good point. Uh, I know, but it, it is. You have to ask yourself. He's right. That's kind of what I was saying. Like, what? Why do you yeah. keep doing it and expecting a different result? That's the fucking definition of insanity, yes. right there. And I think his so I, answer is that you're getting some. Not you. The you the person yeah, is yeah, yeah. getting something out of it by doing that mm-hmm. by testing them. Yes. I don't know what it is. Maybe it allows Eileen to say, "Oh, to keep herself in this." gray zone of like should we be friends we should be together no 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 it allows her to keep holding back because it it keeps reminding her he's not gonna die for you he's not gonna or you know he's not gonna make this argument for you in the way you want him to so she it allows her to keep something up between them i really have to think about it and not on here because this would then be i can't even put myself on the couch because i literally i can't even figure it out yet it's too hard so alice and felix are doing giving their same dynamic very different you know even though alice and simon might be similar in in their core the way they act out is very different and alice is more of a dramatic act you know very different sun signs i guess i would say if they're both (laughs) venus and pisces (laughs) then their sun signs are very different because Alice has this, Alex and, Alice and Felix had this fight. She drops the glass. It's very dramatic. And then she says, I'm going to hit you. Don't come near me. She says, come, come near me. I'll fucking hit you. Yeah, and, this is all a little much for right. me. And this time it's kind of her acting out instead of him acting out where he goes out to the club, does some drugs, and then comes home and, you know, basically wants to see what he can get away with from her and now she's doing the same thing she wants to see what she can get away with from him and you know she realizes that's not really what she wants she doesn't want to scare him away she doesn't want to push him away but that is a response as how she's feeling in this moment to it's it's her self-protection I know you know you see Eileen's very clearly as self-protection I see it as dysfunction I see this as self-protection. You see it as dysfunction. But it's just, it's all the same thing. It's just different how we relate to one another. And so, but Felix is not. He's like, I'm not scared of you. And she says, maybe you don't know me. As if she's like really going to lean into this idea that he should be scared and that that she is a monster. She says, I feel like a monster. I don't know what to say. Yeah. But then he kind of gives his big speech and he's like, you know, I'm not, you didn't scare me. I've done. And then she tells him she's on Prozac to help with some of these feelings. He's like, you're doing better than me. I had no sex drive and I was getting into fights all the time. 
So obviously he can relate to this acting out. And, you right. know, he said... Which I think is, yes, the, I think that is a point of relatability for the two of them, which I think for them, like I, to me, I'm like, whoa, like I said, this is a bit much, but he's like, yeah, I get this. Like, yeah. uh, like I speak this language too. Yes. You know, I understand. Yes. He says, you know, you think Eileen doesn't care about you as much as you do. And you think the same about me, that you care more. Maybe that's why you got to like me in the first place. I don't know. Part of me thinks you just hate yourself. Everything you're doing, moving out here on your own with no car or anything, getting your feelings involved with some randomer you met online. It's like you're trying to make yourself miserable. And maybe you want someone to fuck you over and hurt you. At least that would make sense why you would pick me out because you think I'm the type of person that would do that or would want to. She's standing at the sink saying nothing. Slowly he nods his head. Well, I'm not going to. If that's what you want, I'm sorry. He cleared his throat and added, and I don't think you like me more. I think we like each other the same. I know I don't show it in my actions all the time, but I can try to be better on that. And I will try. I love you, all right? Oh, I mean, I just... I know. And she's like... I know. And she's like, even though I'm a psychiatric case, she said, he laughed, standing upright and closing the door behind him. Yeah, he answered, even though we both are. Ah, that... Yes, that... I, I love that. I was like... Even though we both are. Yeah. I, I think it's the same exact kind of coming together moment or maybe the other side yes. gets to, to act out in the way that we're used to seeing the other one do it. And then they come together. So the end, is that? The end. Okay. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of thoughts on the end. Yeah. And That's she good. added the pandemic right. into this yes. novel. Right. And. Mm-hmm. I, it felt like an afterthought. It really felt like a, a throwaway. Did. But maybe that's fine. I mean, Alice's point was her life has not at all changed. I think I would have rather her kept it out completely because she didn't do anything with it. She didn't. Uh, yeah, I didn't see the yeah, point. And she exactly. didn't use it to say, you know, Alice is like, my life is so small and that's fine. But she didn't really even use it to say like, so many people's lives are terrible. People lost their job. People lost loved ones. I mean, she kind of didn't zoom out at all on that. So I, which right. is not Sally Rooney's way, but then so to leave it out. I, I don't know. I was not happy with that addition. I didn't, I, I agree. It was too, and it maybe, I don't know, someone's point might've been, how can you not, you know, how can you write a book during this you time? Can. Yeah, I think you, you can. can. I think so too. I mean, because it was just in this little last two chapters, yeah, right? Yeah, the emails. Later, you don't, you don't the need... emails. There was yeah, really... you don't need... Yeah. So <laughs> you had messaged me, like, I have 30 pages left and I don't know how this is going to come together. I mean, the, the answer is she kind of skipped making it come together and she did it in retrospect by skipping ahead 18 months. Did you? Did it come together for you? So... You know, I think what I realized at, when I first read it was that I liked it. I was like, oh, I like this. I kind of like that she's wrapped it up and this and that. And then I thought, wait a second. This is just so not Sally Rooney, though. And this is, so, does this even go with this book? But but I think in my in the actual moment, because I think truly I am a happy ending person, I was kind of like, oh, this is great. Like, it's sort of a happy ending. I You get resolution of what's happening. But then the only thing that caused me to question it after was, hmm, like this just usually her endings are ambiguous and this doesn't really go with the rest of the story, does it? But then I just thought my whole happy ending 
lover in me just just had overlooked that at first. But I think a lot of people are not going to be happy. Well, I know wait, a lot wait, of people wait. are not happy with this wait, ending. You didn't think this was a happy ending? No, I did. Oh. That's what I'm saying. Oh. I thought it was, but I'm saying, and I like happy endings. So I think when I read it, I did like it because I like things to be wrapped up and I like a happy ending. But I think that the question is, but is that the right ending for this book? And given everything else and also are people going to be upset because this doesn't really feel like a Sally Rooney ending if you really want her typical ambiguous ending then well this doesn't have that but I right. think the well, happy ending I don't know I haven't read conversations with friends so I don't know what's typical apparently it is similar that's what it, I mean I've, I've read a bunch sim- of similar meaning ambiguous ending yeah, there's like an ending line where people yeah exactly sort of you know, uh, yes, it's apparently is. Okay. I I haven't either. I don't know. To me, this did not feel, it felt like a happy emotional ending. It did not feel like a tying a bow on any, everything. I didn't have that same feeling. I didn't, I don't know. I, I felt like it was. Well, now you know they're together. Yes. That they're both still together. Yes. I think for Simon and Eileen, you now, I mean, I think it. they're, they're together. They're having a baby. I mean, kind of ties it up oh no, right because once people have kids they never get divorced and no. don't aren't happy well, we can't well you can't you can't write the next 10 years yeah. either in an ending I mean like so right but she nor does she it, suggest like this is going to be happy ever in fact my, I mean what I what I really loved and what I kind of thought was the ambiguous ending that was perfect for Sally Rooney is the last line it's not the life I used to imagine for myself either but it's the life I have, the only one. And as I write this, you this message, I'm very happy. So I, mm. it did feel like to me, this moment, I'm very happy. And who knows what what happens? I mean, I think that that was to me that that acknowledgement that who knows what happens. But I can tell you right now, I'm happy. And I think that's all happy. we can ever do. I think that was the perfect happy mm-hmm. ending to me. It wasn't about right. um, her being pregnant or or them Oh, no, being I agree. Absolutely. She even says that right in the beginning of the last paragraph. I still have no idea what it will be like, what it will feel like, or how the days will pass, whether I'll still want to or write or be able to what will become of my life I mean to me I think that's exactly what you're saying like she's not telling you everything's great from now until the end of time she still has a lot of uncertainty but but right now this life that she has it's the only one and and she's very happy yes and so I love that emotional kind of happy ending but not the logistics. And I think what she was always trying to avoid, or at least the way I felt it with, with Marianne and Connell, was even the logistics were unclear. Like, did did he move to New York? Did he stay? Did she go with him? Like, what, logistically, what even happened next? But this, so I, I think she gave us a little bit more of the logistics and like that, that it's not yes that's that yes that's what I mean when I say wrapping it up I mean I put it out in the like logistics I do feel as if that that it was more wrapped up than her at least normal people yes and I thought it was very Um, satisfying very satisfying and I'm not a bow on it kind of person right what about the Alice final chapter yeah, I mean, how did you th- feel? There's less to be tied up with them. They are in the kind, they're right. in that part of the relationship where who knows? But but I was happy with that too. I was happy they were right, still together, right. and that that this shit stirring weekend didn't change anything. 
Right, right, exactly. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of people who seem, at least out in the ether, that seem to be unhappy with the with the ending. But yeah, like, a, but I was not. Yeah, no, I think she did. I, I think it was different. I mean, the whole book was different. And we can talk about that. True. The whole book True. was was different than normal people. So if you were looking to read normal people again, this was absolutely not it. I mean, she had four characters. There was, It was a pretty short book, especially given four characters. There's no interiority as opposed to all of the interiority of normal people. I mean, it's a completely different book. So I thought this book was, I mean, this ending was maybe what we needed. Although, to tell you the truth, I wish she had done something emotionally true at the end of Normal People, too. I think she she could, you can do, you don't have to put a bow on things and also make it an emotionally happy ending to just acknowledge this moment is, it feels good. It feels right, and then I'm happy, which is exactly what Eileen does. And I think that's the yes. perfect ending for a Sally Rooney book. And I wish Normal People had had that same ending. So let's take the whole book the book as a whole, I mean, I've loved our conversations. I've loved unpacking it. I don't know that I loved this book. About, it's so hard to use books. the right words because I just, uh, basically yes. now all I try to say is I recommend you read it. I, I recommend you read it. Yes. And I guess it, I would say of this one, I recommend you read it and put normal people out of your head. But mm-hmm. here's the thing about this one and I think where I end up at the end was that I really and why I really missed those emails and the little bit of interiority we got I I did have a harder time knowing these characters I feel like I didn't know them in the same way that I knew Marianne and Connell and we had known Mm, them the whole time and we we had talked about this a little in the beginning when we did the intro and the, and the narrative distance that she puts and she has talked a lot about this and I understand why she needed to but I don't and I don't think she'd care I don't think she was thinking as much about the reader's perspective I think she was thinking about her as a writer and her perspective in writing it and why she did it made the decision but I don't know that it was the best thing for the the reading experience and for someone who doesn't care about craft and care about someone like Sally Rooney really continuing to grow we've talked to so many authors who are like once you have a hit they want you to just keep churning out the exact same book Sally certainly rejected that and her publishers were were fine with it I think because it's it is on a different level this is not just about selling books although she clearly does that too this is about her growing as an as an author but so she wrote about this and again that narrative distance was really helped by the emails and then once you took the emails away I had a much harder time and I think it became clearer that that was what I was missing any interiority so she says that it was a very specific decision of hers to zoom out to not have any judgment or input in what the characters were thinking and feeling which uh, I'll just read it it makes sense when she says it That decision did take some time. After I conceived of the four principal characters and their relationships between them, I struggled for a relatively long period, 
maybe nine or ten months with the question of perspective. The novel does not have one particular central character, and I wanted to find balance between the narrative strands of the book without imposing a hierarchy of significance. My problem was that any time I drew close enough to the protagonist to be narrating their inner thoughts or feelings, I found myself getting bored and irritated with my own voice. Like, great, here comes the author again telling us exactly how everyone feels and thinks. In my real life, obviously, there's no one to tell me how other people think and feel, and I barely even know what to think myself. So the more I tried to insist on my closeness to the characters by presenting their interiority in the narrative, the further away from them I actually felt, because their interiority did not resemble anything at all from my real experience of living. And I just, I think I get it from her perspective, from writing it, but I do think the the reader... I would say the average reader, but even the non-average reader, even the the exceptional reader can appreciate her craft, but not feel the same way she does. I think we do need that. And she gave it to us mostly in part with the emails and then she took them away and that wasn't quite as consistent. And so that was, I think, something that put a distance between me and, and my feelings for this book. She goes on to say... Um, that she, that she made this decision partly, it might have been because, it, or she says it was a purely aesthetic decision. It had nothing to do with anything else. But then she goes on to say, partly it might have been because I had recently finished writing a novel in which the perspective did switch back and forth between two protagonists and the third person. Obviously, that's normal people. And they were always thinking and feeling things. And I was always telling the reader what they thought and felt. So I had kind of exhausted that narrative technique for myself, at least temporarily. I didn't want to write that novel over again. I had to do something that, to me, felt sufficiently felt different. different. Yeah. And, yeah, and she says, after various failed experiments along these lines, I had to try to find another approach. In essence, I wanted to find the novel's characters. I wanted to allow the novel's characters to go about their lives without any apparent authorial judgment or commentary and gradually I began to find that I didn't need to present what was generally called interiority in order to accomplish this I could just impartially observe and describe the characters saying and doing things without needing to speculate on what they secretly thought or felt this decision does impose a certain distance between the reader and the novel's protagonist but it's a distance that made sense to me basically the same distance that prevents any of us from reading the minds of uh, of, of, of other people in our lives but yeah. I actually don't find that true. Do you not pretend to know what other people are yeah. thinking and feeling? Of course Everyone do. does. All anyone ever does is try to read interpret into, it. What do they mean by yes. that? Get in their heads. A- yes. Absolutely. Completely. And so while what she's saying is kind of objectively or empirically true, it's also incredibly emotionally false. It is not. We always know yeah. we are not given a and you know that's why I'd love to see her write her next book in first person because I think that's really what she wants is to be in your head without being allowed to jump around and tell you everybody else's thoughts and feelings and or more than one person's but that is all we do in the first person is figure out what other people are are saying to us like oh what did that mean even something as simple as like yes you know did you take out the garbage oh did you take out the garbage what's that supposed to mean I'm a you know like yes what's the tone yeah. you're inferring what's the yes. yeah and yeah, is, yeah, it, yeah. is that my role and is that all I'm good for it I mean there's so many things that go through our own heads in that way and 
Right. It sounds to me that she just wanted to do something yes. different than normal people. And yeah, I mean, and maybe the next one she would do in first person. I mean, it seems she, I don't want to say she gets bored, but she yeah. wants a challenge. She wants, she to, wants keep to change growing and change. She wants yeah. to keep growing. So maybe she'll, so this was her attempt to do that. And and I think you've pointed out some, you know, positives and negatives of what that kind of structure and that, that style. And then you know, maybe she'll try first person or whatever because yes. that's what? she's certainly never just going to rest on her laurels and do what she does. That would no. never be her. No. You know, like I said on the intro, I think I read an article where she said she literally sat down and I'm like, what is a novel? Yes. I mean, yeah, that's the le- I've been writing these things. Yeah. What are they really? I mean, so that's just the way she it is. is the way she is. I, I was happy, though, she did say at least temporarily she had exhausted that for herself. So there is hope for another. Yes, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> there, mm-hmm. Another novel that yes. is Marianne and Connell-esque. Yes. I think one thing that will not change is that she will always be writing about friendship and love and relationships. There's the quote at the at the beginning of the book, Natalia Ginsburg mm-hmm. quote that it says, but there is one corner of my mind in which I know very well what I am, which is a small, very small writer. I swear I know it, but that doesn't matter much to me. And she said that she, when she first read that quote, she underlined it like a hundred times. And she said, I felt so strongly connected to that because it's, first of all, it's kind of grounding when there's so much happening, when there's so much noise and hype around the book. She says, you remember, like, I'm just a small writer, you know, and also it's still a worthwhile life to live. Even if you're only writing the same books about friendship and love, that's still a life worth living. And, you know, she says, like, she, she, it feels like she kind of has a lack of imagination. I mean, like, you know, about to write about anything else. She's like, maybe that, I, I don't know if she's kidding or being self-deprecating, but like to to her, like, of course, you know, people write psychological thrillers and they've never been a murderer or they've, you know, whatever. That's what imagination is for. But her joke is, well, I maybe, I, I, that's, I'm not good at that. You know, she's, she says, I think what my imagination is good at, if it's good at anything, is coming up with psychological realities. Yes, I um, loved that. But what I'm not good at coming up with from scratch is an actual world, like jobs, houses, class, social circles. The material reality of the characters has to be grounded in stuff that I actually know. So I think, and I, I, I like that. That I really love about her books. Yes, the um, psychological Real, yes. that what she say psychological realities within the context of relationships which can be friendship romantic mm-hmm. whatever like that is what she does so well and why i will of course always read a sally Rooney yes. book yes yes oh wait are we not going to talk about how she calls us <laughs> insane where oh where i uh, yeah yeah you know what i'm talking about or no yeah, page 344. This is Al- back to Alice and Felix. And there's a tweet where someone, a reporter asks Felix, do you read her books? And he says, no, I don't. I don't read her. I don't. And then so the headline is, Alice's boyfriend has never read any of her books. And, and then someone responds and says, this is tragic. She deserves better. Which presumably is in defense of of Alice, but Alice goes on to say, what we have here is an example of a presumably normal and sane person whose thinking has been deranged by the concept of celebrity. (laughs) 
And I was like, I don't think, and she says, I don't think she would like this. She has no idea that she is, this is the commenter, in this small, limited respect, quite literally insane. Because everyone around her is also insane in the exact same way. I thought that was pretty damn harsh. You think? I forgot that. Pretty harsh. Yes, pretty harsh. Yeah. Yeah. Now, she did, she specifically says, I'm not a celebrity. So, you know, Sally Rooney says, I'm not a celebrity. She was talking about what she thinks are real exactly. celebrities. Which, and, she, mm-hmm. and that was even kind of a, a spectrum. She talked about Simone Biles. She talked about Britney Spears. Yeah. Britney Spears. So, I mean, right. I guess those people are all talented or have a talent. So I don't know why then she doesn't think she is a celebrity. I know her explanation exactly was, but they're all sort of a celebrity because of the talent they have in their particular field. Yeah. I'm like, you mean like, like yeah, you? What, right. what are you talking right. about? But then she I does mean, go on to say like, I mean, certainly if someone like Britney Spears has been in dangerous situations because of paparazzi and... Right, I guess she doesn't get swarmed and stuff the way they do. Right, but I'm not sure Simone Biles goes in that category either, but someone like a Britney Spears, a Kim Kardashian, all of that, like that is... When paparazzi are following them, that is a different level of intrusion on your life and that maybe... But but I did appreciate she said in that, piece kind of all she really wants is a discussion of why like why we have this culture that reveres these things and and creates a a system that wants pictures of Britney Spears like getting Starbucks not Britney Spears singing not Britney Spears dancing which are which are her talents but Britney Spears getting Starbucks like why do you need a picture of Britney Spears getting Starbucks and of course I was going to kind of get on my high horse and be like oh that's not what we do and it's not what we do in what she said. But you and I are very much not above this when it comes to Ben no. Affleck and Jennifer Lopez. No, I'm not. I need to see more pictures I, of them. Yes, please. I, and we care about mm-hmm. their relationship. Not each I of do, them. As a, if I'm in it. Yeah. Not each of them as a talent in and of themselves acting or, or for her singing and dancing or whatever it is. It's that it's their relationship that we care about, and that's what we want to know about and speculate about and have theories about to the extent where I think that is warranted, that I do feel sometimes a little insane, except that they're really just stand-ins for, for life and, and humanity, I think. Like, of you know, course, right? yes. 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 Like, for example, we love to talk about the one that got away. Yes. Okay? They are the living embodiment mm-hmm. of second chances and one that got away. How could we I not? Know. I mean, it's a theme we like to talk about in our episodes yes. and they're like playing it out in real yes. life on a stage that we get to watch because of social media I don't yes. know uh, you're right yeah. and what about and we didn't even guilty as charged oh, yes. I know I know <laughs> Sally <laughs> uh, quite literally insane and deranged I'm like okay all right yeah. well okay yeah yeah but okay so for all of that though Sally Rooney gave us a quote that I feel like we need to start using all over the place of course she she has to do it in her sally rooney way but she talks about the unlikable female protagonist she says i might be crossing into moral terrain now which is probably a bad idea but i believe that while not everyone is likable everyone is lovable part of what motivates Mm -hmm. me as a novelist is the challenge implicit in this belief i want to depict my characters with enough complexity enough depth of feeling that a reader can find a way to love them without liking them or even like 
them and love them despite everything as I do. That is fantastic. Yeah. And she says it in the context of family in the book um, at the end of the wedding uh, on when Eileen is emailing Alice about post-wedding on page 261. She says, the truth is I really love Lola and my mother and I think that they love me although we can't seem to get along with one another and maybe we never will. In a funny way, maybe it's not important to get along and more imp- important to just love each other anyway. It feels very easy to access in relation to family, right? That is often how yes. people feel about family. Like that, It felt like a greater point on what I was saying in our last episode of like the thin line of love and hate is really more about kind of antagonizing and pushing each other and challenging each other and making each other grow by pushing each other as opposed to the absence of that, which to me, although it doesn't have to be as extreme as I like it, it does ring of indifference when you don't do that to one another. But this was kind of a nicer way to say that. It's not about love and hate. It's about loving despite whether you like them or not and the moments you like them and the moments you don't like them. You got to love them always anyway. And that I thought was even more beautiful and more perfect for what I have always been trying to say. What I say with the thin line of love and hate. It doesn't matter if something about someone drives you crazy. You love them all the time. And that's how I feel. And that's what I love. So it's your Venus and Pisces. Sure it is. (laughs) No doubt. The most unconditional lovers of of the Zodiac. That's right. Right there. That's right. Yes. So. I love it. I love it. Well, that's it. Our final installment. That's all I have. Oh, Sally. We have to say goodbye yes. to Sally. And, but thankfully, with a quote about likable and how unhelpful, unnecessary, and how it's about can you understand their complexity? Can you get to their depth of feeling and find a way to love them regardless of when you like them and when you don't? Yes. And that's what we talk about on here. I love it. Perfect quote to end it. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at Pop underscore women. For more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.